Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hello and welcome to Changes. It's Annie here, Annie McManus. Happy New Year. Hope the celebrations went well. Hope you're feeling energized and uh, yeah, just generally positive about this year ahead. This week, we are continuing to revisit some previous highlights from Changes to look back at some of the many brilliant guests we've had since 2020. We thought we would kick off the new year by looking back at two episodes which changed our perspective and perhaps will get you thinking about changing your outlook and lens on things this year, whether that be for personal issues or bigger world issues. This week, we will be hearing from the Swedish pop sensation, total, total cult music star, Robin, as well as the Syrian filmmaker, activist, teacher, Hassan Akkad, who on this episode tells a story of when he made the treacherous journey by boat from Syria to the UK, beginning in Turkey on a rubber dinghy. The migrant crisis, as it's called in the media, has never been more prevalent in our headlines and in our newspapers. And it's incredibly important, in my opinion, to hear these stories from the people who are making them. And Hassan's story, although incredibly sad and painful, is also full of hope and wisdom too. So definitely stick around for that. That's in the second half of this episode. But before we hear from Hassan, let's revisit Robin, a pop star who provides the perfect juxtaposition of joy and pain in her music. She makes sad bangers. She is the sad banger connoisseur. She is an incredible dancer, a true creative, a true artist, respected and adored all over the world. Robin talked a lot about her career and music in this conversation, but she also, of course, talked about the biggest changes in her life, including her parents' divorce, a topic on which she had a really interesting take, and her adulthood change, which she likened to taking mushrooms. We revisit parts of the conversation here, starting with Robin's biggest change in her childhood. Yeah, well, so I grew up in a in a family, both of my parents are working in theater and they got to know each other when they were really young they were still in school and so my parents were together my my dad is a director my mom's an actress and the other 10 people in the group were like friends of theirs and so it was like a family a big family for me and we spent like six months every year on the road and how would you travel around we would go by bus um in the beginning it was just like those old Volkswagen hippie buses and then it became a little bit more professional but my everyday life was very much based around my parents and what they were doing and then my parents got divorced when I was 10 Um, and a couple of years before that we moved back to Sweden permanently so that I could start school my brother was born and the theater group disintegrated because of the the government changed the rules about cultural funding in Sweden 
around that time. And so the theater group was canceled and then my parents got divorced maybe like a couple of years after. And so I went from this like, I would say quite fluid family, big family situation, traveling uh, with my parents, spending time with them all the time, seeing them also work together, collaborating to moving back to one place, which was Stockholm, starting school, living in an apartment, and then also my parents divorcing. And their divorce was, you know, it wasn't a good divorce. They never really mended their relationship. And so they didn't have a lot of interaction. And so I think going from one extreme to the other was on on so many different levels. It was very layered for me, really affected me as a 10-year-old you know, kids deal with things and you, you know, you, you have ways of dealing with stuff, but I think it's something that I, yeah, that I'm still thinking about actually and seeing how, you know, how it, it kind of shaped my, my experience of the world and how it also uh, planted these like feelings in me that, you know, I later on in life, decided to kind of look at a little bit more and try to deprogram a little bit. And so the kind of list of change there that, you, that you're talking about is so, it's quite extreme. So you've gone from this kind of nomadic lifestyle to then staying put, which is itself a huge change. Then you've gone from going, living, you know, living, being the sole child to then having a sibling, which is an also a massive change, right? Mm. And then... Um, having this kind of solid unit of your parents be uh, in jeopardy. Mm-hmm. So what happened after this, th- these kind of couple of years for you between seven or eight and 10, what happened after that? Did you stay with your mom or your dad or how did it work? I stayed with my mom for about a year after they got divorced. And then me and my brother started staying every other week with my mom and my dad. So we would pack our little bag and <laughs> walk over. <laughs> so he was close? Yeah, they were close, just 20 minutes away from each other. So we, mm. you know, we had a, a more local kind of uh, lifestyle then, which was great. But still, I think all, all the uh, kids who have divorced parents who are not friends, because even if you are, like, not enemies, then it's, like, a big step for divorced parents to actually have you know a relaxed kind of relationship and so I think all kids who have these two homes like you you know you kind of split yourself up a little bit it's very hard to integrate those two worlds and to actually like kids can't tell their other parent you know what life is like at the other home it's too complicated you you also feel like sometimes you have to choose sides and stuff so I think it's really up to the parents to have that kind of communication. And so I think there was like a split that happened after that. Mm. That was very, very apparent. And I think it kind of, it's not just a physical split that you have two homes. It's like a split in your personality a little bit. Now you, you've had the time in your life to look back and kind of examine what, what you were going through emotionally a bit more closely. Mm. How do you think it affected you as a, as a kind of girl going into her teens? I think that... It, both the way I was brought up before my parents got divorced with all of the traveling we did and having a more kind of loose routine, um, everyday life routine, 
going to a more stable, like conventional life, but also having, you know, a very tight knit family and then divorced parents. It's incredibly valuable too to have those two perspectives. Mm. I think whenever a person has two perspectives, whether it is that you have parents that are from different cultures or you might have like mental health issues or, you know, you might have a family where one half of it has money and the other one doesn't. Like whatever it is that you are faced with, I think it creates a very particular perspective. And I think people who has that, it doesn't, I mean, some people have it in their culture or in, you know, the way that it, you can tell, you can see it on them that they have this duality in them, which is very different from not having it as like your skin color, whatever it is, like if you live in a society where most people don't look like you or whatever. But I think that there are other ways that that can happen as well, more subtle ways. Like, and I think all people understand that, like on different levels, have this ability to also empathize with other people who are forced to deal with a situation where people don't understand their complexities or their their norm, I think. So sure. I think it's an, it's an intelligence too. It's, it's not just a hassle. It's also a, a kind of a superpower. It's like a little bit explosive. It can create a lot of, you know, problems too if you don't understand like where that perspective comes from or whatever. Let's talk about your second change then, the, the change that you you think had the biggest effect of, on you as an adult. Yeah. So I think 10 years ago, I decided to start therapy and I started because I was in a relationship that was really uh, challenging and I felt like I was like super scared of what was going to happen with my <clears throat> emotions. I felt super vulnerable and so I started therapy. It wasn't even a plan. I just did it as like it was some kind of instinct to understand myself a little bit better. And then after a few years, I went through a breakup and I I decided to up my like uh, ratio of therapy. So I was seeing my therapist and she was like, well, now that you're coming three or four times a week, you know that you're in psychoanalysis. And I was like, oh, cool. And (laughs) I started really embracing my therapy at that point I think it's um, easier to do that when you're feeling like shit psychoanalysis is like a long-term thing it's very much goes against all you know quick fix ideas about getting your life together or whatever it's more about like breaking it all apart disintegrating yourself and figuring yourself out again so, you know okay, so I, yeah right. it's, it's a heavy thing but it's also really really cool thing if you're up for it so I was in therapy for six years and um and that was kind of three or four times a week doing that really breaking down everything yeah and what did you I mean god I mean it must mean (laughs) so many things that's that's such a huge question but like when you look at what you've been through with therapy is there one thing that you can come out of that having learned about yourself that you had no idea about before that really that therapy helped you figure out I feel like maybe the most important thing that I learned in therapy is to have like a calm, to to figure out how, really how to calm myself down. Because it's like over, over six years, like you have so much time to work through things in a different way. And it's because you know, you have all that time, 
you kind of relax into things and you start you can go deep and all of your relationships kind of pop up in the relationship with your therapist so you have time to kind of like figure out what you do in different kinds of situations and why it's like drawing a map over your life in a way not like solving stuff maybe but just like understanding it and then that gave me some kind of new sense of calm uh, like like when things get a little bit difficult I feel calmer because I've already explored why it feels difficult it's like you know when you don't know what's underneath like if you if you if you're scared of water for example it's because you don't know what's under there because the water's deep or whatever but if you knew exactly what was under your boat it's not as scary you know what I mean yeah yeah so that was those kind of six years that was am I right in saying that was when you were in your 30s yeah that was between like 31 and 37 or something like that um, but I'm still in therapy, <laughs> yeah. but just not as much. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you see it as something that's kind of like like maintenance as such, like bringing your car to to the garage, like just something to keep you f- thriving? Yeah, it's mental hygiene. Mental You're... hygiene. I've never heard of that. That's really good. Yeah, it's mental hygiene. Yeah. I mean, you can do that in so many different ways. You know, it's like I feel like maybe psychoanalysis is like, is like having a really mild mushroom trip for six years. (laughs) Sign me up. (laughs) But it's not like it doesn't have like, you know what I mean? It's like Uh, you, you can learn things about yourself and figure shit out and have like get new perspectives from like a really intense psychedelic trip, but maybe it's nicer to make it less intense and just have it, you know, go longer and like kind of bubbling, yeah, bubbling, yeah. yeah. Which reminds me that the first time I met you, you were on mushrooms. <laughs> oh Do no! You remember? No. <laughs> oh, was it in LA? Yeah. yeah. Was it at Dave Taylor's party? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't remember being on mushrooms then. Yeah. Oh my god, my bad. I remember you telling me though that you'd gone. Like, I remember us having quite a serious conversation. So hopefully, I was able to hold down a conversation. Oh no, you were you but, were lovely. You There's always a feeling of abject panic when someone tells you that the first time they met you, you were on mushrooms. (laughs) Uh, Absolute joy to revisit that from Robin. And you know what? It's actually made me, listening to that, it's made me think about starting therapy. Really has. I loved that analogy of the boat and knowing what's underneath you in the water and this idea of drawing a map of your life. I've always kind of seen therapy as a kind of way to kind of work through your demons but looking at it in this way as a way to just understand yourself more understand how you work yeah it's very appealing to me maybe this conversation with Robin can inspire you to get to know yourself more this year if you want to go back and listen to the full episode there's loads more so go do that now in 2022 the migrant issue was one of the biggest most prolific stories in our timelines And how countries deal with the migrant crisis is an ongoing issue. We wanted to hear from someone with lived experience of making that journey across the water to the UK from their home country and who sought asylum in the UK. 
Enter Hassan Akkad, who was an English teacher in Damascus in Syria, living a very happy and fulfilled life with his family before everything started to go very wrong. He wrote a memoir called Hope Not Fear, which is incredible and I recommend highly for you. But let's revisit the conversation we had. Uh, we're going to go back into it where he describes his experience of crossing the sea from Turkey to Greece on a rubber dinghy, finishing nearly three months later in Heathrow. First crossing didn't happen, so we got, we got sent back to Izmir. And then we tried the next day. And the crossing was incredible. It was like everything was going very well. The sea was flat. It was like I could see the I could see Lesbos from from a distance. I could see the how long like, how long should the crossing be, Hassan? Sorry it should be three to four hours. It's not it's not that okay. far. Yeah, and you have your Google Maps on your phone. And I you have can my see Google Maps. Right yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm I'm yeah. looking at that blue dot, and I was like, everything's fine, and and everyone is praying, and and then out of nowhere comes this military boat this military style boat and they start ramming our boat like literally they were ramming our boat and we it was like two in the morning we couldn't see them and they were projecting their lights on our boat and I was like what the hell is going on and so in the midst of the commotion everyone starts shouting police police to fend these people off because initially we thought they were like a, a mafia or something you know we people okay. had loads of like people had belongings so they could rob us and leave and then <laughs> the only weapons we had on us were our, infl- our rings, our, our inflatable. So we started, th- yeah, we started throwing them at them. And then we started throwing punches. They left and then they came back. They started beating everyone up with sticks. There were three men. And then they stole the fuel tank. They took the fuel tank and then left. And I was like, I genuinely can't understand what's happening. It's so surreal. And they were wearing balaclavas? They were wearing, no, they were wearing these masks and I remember they had these skeleton masks, you know, and and oh my God. and and that's 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 what I was like. There's no way, like, there are definitely some dodgy people because what? Why else would they cover their faces, you know? To my like, I was incredibly shocked an hour or two hours later because they left us adrift in the water and we couldn't, like, the waves were pushing us towards Greece. They came back to us, but then when I realized that this boat was coming from a a Greek marine ship, you know, from a Greek like a border control ship. So we were literally being beaten up by European police in the, in the middle of the water, which is like against international law. It's, it's, it's a crime, which is still happening until this present day. But it was such a letdown for me because that was my first encounter with Europe. You know, I did not expect that I would go to Europe and I would be beaten up by the police. This is something that I was like, it's what the Syrian police would do, not European police. Europe, the, the cradle of civil like you know human rights and 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 freedoms and but it's it was like it took us seven hours of them coming pushing us back to turkey and then us swimming and pushing the boat literally we ran out of fresh water they would come and push us back and we were very stubborn we kept pushing the boat for and then they came back and uh, we had this plan i was like everyone jumps out of the boat in different places they took out their pistols and they pointed them at us imagine it got to that it got that far. They're doing that to a group of people fleeing war. And, and all sorts of people, old people, children, all sorts Lit- of people. Women, children, all sorts of people yelling at us in Greek. We couldn't understand what was happening. And then uh, we became so annoying until they gave up. I started <laughs> yelling at them. I was like, if you genuinely think you can shoot people, be my guest, start with me. Because at that point, I was like, I'm, I'm just too tired. I can't yeah, deal with gone, it. <laughs> gone, gone. Um, yeah. They left us. Then they just, uh, they, they left us and were gone. And then another like 
Coast Guard vessel came and picked us up and took us to Greece. And the same guys were on it, no? The same guys came on that. So we were transported to that main ship. They came on board and they started looking for the guy who was throwing punches at them initially, pulled him up, slapped him on the face. And I was like, oh my God, I wish they could, like, I was trying to hide my face. I, don't, I didn't want them yeah. to see me. But <laughs> like, can you imagine that was the first encounter? Like, it's <laughs> And the irony of everyone in the boat yelling police as yeah. in kind of like, help us. Yeah, the but they were the police. Who were, who were doing it. Like, it, like it's, so, it's so shocking. And it's, so well, shocking. what's shocking is that it still, it still happens till, till this it's day. It's still happening. still happening yeah. till this day. P- pushbacks happening. are still happening in the Aegean, on every border in Europe. And uh, nothing has changed, unfortunately. So you make it to Calais, the notorious Calais jungle, which is what people called it. And there's this feeling of kind of desperation that you kind of get from the people around you. And I wondered about your relationship with hope then, because it really felt like that was a point that was when you were at your most tired, most exhausted, most disillusioned. How did you manage to maintain hope? I think my dad really helped me on that front. <laughs> there were long 60 days in, in Calais that we spent there. The conditions were horrible. We slept in parks. We slept in bus stops. We slept on the doorsteps of a church. We, we cramped in a flat. We were exhausted physically and mentally because every day is like 12 or 14 hours of trying to jump over fences and get on the, on the freight train or trying to hide in a lorry tried 40 or 50 lorries weren't successful and it just wears you down and you're you start questioning everything and you're like is this even worth it like why why even bothered or like you be I, I think I became so bitter back there so upset with everything well I was 26 you know my people my age are what like they they're they're not hiding in lorries <laughs> and um I would speak to my dad and he would be like I was just maybe go somewhere else. And I was like, no, I want to go to the UK. And, 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 and he, my dad is very religious and he would like help me, you know, navigate that. And he would like pray for me. And it was soothing, you know, it reminded me of the time when I was around my family and we could do that to one right. another. And the difficult parts, again, I, t- I told you, I, I come from a sheltered life, my background, like my, my upbringing. But then when you suddenly find yourself in a queue for, to, to, for, for food, or like in a queue to get to the toilet and you're being ha- like you're living on donations and you're living on, on on handouts while it's very very nice and it's amazing but it's 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 difficult it's difficult to to to, to come to terms with that especially if you're yeah. stateless especially if you don't have a home to go back to but i also met some fascinating people there who like did help me you know who like gave me clothes who gave me <laughs> food who like took me out to a restaurant or like bought me a pint and it was nice it kept me going and uh, <laughs> and then yeah 60 days later I, I made it <laughs> a lot can happen in the next three years like a chatbot maybe your new best friend but what won't change needing health insurance united healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... 
All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. <laughs> so tell me how it felt to land in the UK and to be able to walk off that plane. <laughs> it was gosh it's so like it was the 27th of September 2015 and it was um it was a special day it was a very special day because I finished like I've done like I've done it you know I hit the finish line um I felt like I was genuinely very happy I was like this is it I made it I could understand the signs for it because <laughs> everything was in English, especially at Heathrow. And we're like, if you want to claim asylum, you go there. So I could read those signs. I was like, wow, like this feels very normal. And then I went through the process of claiming asylum and, uh, and through the interviews and everything. And I, it wasn't that long for me. It took me six months to being granted leave to remain. But little did I know back then is that while I finished that journey, you embark on a whole new journey when you get to your destination, because people think, okay, I got there and I'm gonna, be, I'm gonna be sorted. It's everything is fine, everything is, but it's not. <laughs> it's, it's, it is difficult. <laughs> yeah. How long have you been here now, Hassan? Six years. Initially, you know, you talk in the book about going around and kind of going to a kebab shop and kind of discovering this kind of the culture, the, the, the dialogue, the, the England in your head versus the England that is real in real life. How was that? It was very difficult. I mean, while I'm grateful to be here, while like, I, you know, I can have a bank account, I can have a, a, a passport, I can, I, can, I can travel, I can do a lot of things which people can't do, but still a life in exile, away from my roots, away from my family, and it gets lonely sometimes. <laughs> yeah, there's a, there's a line in the book that says, I really like it here, but so much has been lost. Yeah. So it's that kind of, that kind of realization. That yeah. It's, you know, yeah, yeah. Home, um, home is the place that you left behind. And can this ever be home, do you think, for someone in exile? I don't have another option. <laughs> yeah, so maybe in time. Maybe in time, yes. Maybe, maybe time. I just want to, I mean, I think I've established myself here. Luckily, like I have made friends. Luckily, I, I, I have a career, but I want also have access to my family. I want to be able to go. I want to be able to go and see them. I, I still don't have that. England is not what I expected it would be, because when you're, <laughs> when I was living in Syria, what do I know of England other than like Top Gear and BBC and just films and like you don't you don't really get to know the country until you get here. And it's not, it's not easy here, especially London. I live in London. London is very competitive. Everyone is in a rush, you know. It's, uh, it's, it's really hard to keep up. <laughs> but I, it will be home. I am, I, 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 have, I am hopeful that it will be home. That resilience and a fundamental belief that the world can be good is completely inspiring to me and is clearly what motivates so many of Hassan's actions. If you want to know the context about how Hassan ended up on that boat, and believe me, it's so important, do go back and listen to that because hearing his experience of what happened to him in Damascus, what made him realise that he could never live in his country again, is so, so powerful. 
Go and listen to that full episode and do, of course, go and get his memoir, Hope Not Fear. We will, of course, put the links to both episodes in the show notes of this. Thanks so much for listening. I will be back next week with another episode of Changes Revisited. Enjoy the first week of 2023. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.